welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is officially a mailbag. I have no idea how I'm going to get to the NFL through all of this Love Island. And with me this week, here to tell us the precise temperature you should keep your feet at, it's David Newman. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, probably not at a temperature where frostbite is possible uh, can you believe that Th- that is the the single weirdest injury i've ever experienced the well whole, i mean the I, whole and I, thing i haven't even experienced it like if you haven't heard ladies and gentlemen antonio brown he's hurt on the injury report with a foot issue that foot issue was apparently frostbite from cryotherapy did you see his feet pre frostbite no I, I try to make it a point not to look at other men's feet Dude, it was. Ever, I don't know how you missed it, honestly. Um, it was. I don't want to look at it either. But it sometimes shit just happens. Um, just comes up on the feed, and dude, you just find yeah, yourself staring like, at some toe jam. It was just the worst. Like it looked like the whole bottom of his foot was like coming off. Essentially, uh, it was. It was disgusting. He oh had God. Just yeah. So that was like the whole reason. So it started with that. Like that's what I mean. Like the whole situation being just super weird. Um, because you start with like this weird shit that's happening at the bottom of his foot where like the skin is all coming off and all super blistered and gross and everything. And then I think the cryotherapy was supposed to be part of like the treatment for that, but he like stepped on it barefoot and and that was not (laughs) supposed to be how it worked. No, Um, no, it's not. And so yeah, man, just uh that's ice cold to the soles of your feet. Yeah, that's uh that's pretty bad. That's pretty terrible. Let's get to the rundown real quick, and then we've got a, a new segment that we're going to introduce this podcast, and then we'll go into all of your questions that we got from Twitter and the Niners Nation comments. So thank you to everyone who submitted a question. Even if we don't get to it, uh, we definitely read them. Uh, we especially like the what PFF says about missionary. That, that's probably my favorite question. Uh, but let's get to the rundown. High risk, high reward. That's right. Uh, the, the first, the only story here in the rundown is actually not even 49ers related. It's something I thought was pretty interesting. And that was about Tom Brady's contract and the void years. I think it's something that is super interesting. It's something the Niners, I don't think they've used heavily, but other GMs use them in the league. And so I just thought it would take a, a really quick moment to ask a few questions about what the hell that is and why it matters. Because I think this is one of those unique quirks in the structure of a contract that more teams are probably going to use. And when you start getting near the top of that cap, which the Niners, if they have to pay a couple of players here in a couple of years, will find themselves, it may be something that they start to do because they are typically at the forefront of some of this cap structuring stuff. So David, what the hell happened with Tom Brady's contract and what the hell's a void year? So they they effectively did two things with it. One was they looked to free up some cap space for this season, which just gives them... Um, kind of a bit more flexibility, right? Not necessarily saying that they have to make a move with that, but, you know, New England, obviously a team that's kind of um, always looking for different ways to improve their roster and, and you know, is uh, one of the more trade-happy teams in there. So it just kind of gives them additional flexibility if they want to make something happen this season. Um, also is a nice way. So Brady ends up getting more cash this season than he would have otherwise. So it's kind of a nice, you know, everybody knows about Brady consistently taking less money than what the market's at uh, to kind of like help them be able to surround him with more talent. This is kind of basically like a nice thanks. Thanks for for helping us out. We've got some extra cash for you here. Um, But then, yeah, the second part is what happens after this season. And that's where the void years come in, where essentially, I mean, those years are, are... they don't have to be there at all, right? Like they're they're almost certainly not going to happen with the way that the contract structured and like what the the cap amounts would be for him in the next two seasons. Well, really what the Patriots are doing is they are getting a little bit of reward this season and pushing that can a little bit down the line and basically mortgaging their present for the future, presuming that the salary cap is going to rise a little bit. Those void years effectively take advantage of a unique quirk of how salary of how signing bonuses are amortized over the length of a deal up to five years. And so they basically convert that money to a signing bonus. It spreads it out over three years, but the last two yeah. void. And so it reduces his cap number in year one. And then when they void the next two years, the leftover bonus does accelerate into the second year. But now at this point, your roster looks a little bit different. Maybe you've got a higher cap number. You can absorb more of that cap hit. And now it's not so bad. 
And I mean, it makes a ton of sense for the Patriots because they're definitely in win now mode. Um, so I thought it was super interesting that just the idea of mortgaging your present against your future when you have an aging quarterback and you're like, yeah, who knows when the clip's going to hit. Uh, could I hit mean, now, could hit tomorrow. What's going to happen? Brady's putting his house up for sale. Um, now he's, you know, really only under contract for this season. There's an avocado shortage, TB12 under fire. Yeah, what's going to happen? Who I knows? have no idea. But yeah, th- I thought it was interesting and something to definitely keep an eye on because the Patriots are not the only team to utilize this. I think the Eagles use this with Howie Roseman uh, and, and a couple of other teams use it as well. So just an interesting quirk. thought it would be fun to point out in case you hear the, the void years buzz about, you know, exactly what it's all about. Sure. Uh, so let's get to the next segment. And really this segment, it's going to be called bar fight. And it's, it's really just my way of saying like, you're going to get into these bar discussions with someone and they're going to say something that you think is patently ridiculous. And it's your responsibility uh, it, to really set them straight. So this the idea for this segment really came about because I play basketball on Fridays with a guy and he, he also happens to be not, not just one-on-one. It's actually a group of guys, uh, but he happens to be a Niner fan as well. And, Every single Friday, without fail, he tries to convince me that Jimmy Garoppolo is not worth it. He's an unknown quantity, and Nick Mullen should be the starter. <laughs> I, I shit you not. Every uh, single Friday, where oh it's just God. you know you're looking. At Do just you get some up. cheap shots in on that guy? Like during you know just kind of like he's going up for a rebound or something like that. Get no. your foot underneath there. No, you know? I do not zaza this man. Uh, it, you know, it's it's terrible because like I don't want to I don't want to be like a total a hole and be like nah, dude, that's wrong. Like I try to engage in it. You do though. Oh, but it's the, it, it, I try to figure. So basically what I'm going to try to do is say, okay, if you are in this scenario where you are in a bar or you're hanging out with some buddies, you're having a beer or two as we are today. Uh, incidentally, we're having some three nations, Haze wizard, double dry hopped IPA. It's all a name. Oh yeah. It's a great name. Yeah. Uh, but if you're indulging in some Haze wizards and you have a, a fellow Niner fan, who's like, man, you know what? I think Nick Mullins, he's your dude. Here's, here's, I think, what you should say. Uh, so, David, let's, let's, let's begin with first, why is this even a thing? Right. So, so the, the big thing um, that is kind of going around with this conversation, right, because it's definitely something that's uh, been, like, fairly prevalent throughout the offseason. And, and it comes down to, so we're at a point now where Garoppolo and Mullins have taken uh, an almost identical number of dropbacks. There's like three, Garoppolo has like three more dropbacks than, than Mullins does during their time with the 49ers. And when you look at just kind of their basic box score stats from those dropbacks, they're very, very similar. Similar completion percentage, similar yards, uh, similar passer rating, all of that stuff. Like all of that is is within, you know, generally like a few points of each other. So you you look at that and you see like, okay, Garoppolo is a guy that they traded for, gave up a second round pick. They gave all this, this big money contract to him. And Nick Mullins is a guy that we found, uh, what undrafted, right? Just undrafted free agent. Indeed. Um, bargain o- only NFL team that offered him an undrafted free agent contract. Yeah. And, and so you look at that and having a quarterback that can play well on, you know, a rookie or uh, kind of lower end deal is basically the most valuable asset in football that you can have right now. So you see that and you're like, okay, why, why are we not giving more serious consideration to Nick Mullins being the starter on this team? So I think that's where it, it comes from. All right. So first bomb you drop in, in this bar fight, number one, box score numbers simply lack context how the numbers were produced and more specifically in what situations those numbers were produced matter a lot more than the actual numbers themselves. This really is this idea that even like not all yards are created equal is like the genesis of even football outsiders, right? And and this DVOA stat, which is really, really important. People like Troy Aikman, who's, you know, probably uh, uh, someone who doesn't get, uh, who doesn't get the advantage of a lot of counting stats. He's actually a big proponent of not using counting stats for this very reason, right? Because it doesn't always tell the full story. And I think when you you look at those counting stats and you say, sure, they may be equal, but I think everyone would look at the way they play and say, yeah, but still Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to, like he looks just better on the field. And that's because you look at the level of competition, you look at what they do on the field, you look at just their arm strength and, and you put those things together and you say, you know what? I don't know that these counting stats necessarily tell the whole story of the two quarterbacks. Exactly. Like, and it just comes down to like how those stats are accumulated, right? Doesn't 
build in any other additional information that is all of the things that are important, essentially, when you're trying to evaluate how well players are doing, right? A seven-yard pass, um, that's great if that comes on third and five and that gets you a new set of downs, right? It's not so good if that's on third and 10 and now you're punting, right? So it's the same thing. The The box score numbers are going to treat that the exact same way when you're looking back at these stats, you know, after a season or whatever it is. Um, but it's missing a lot of important information as to how those came about. So I think that's the the most important thing and that any, any argument that you're trying to have about who is a better player should not really include those type of numbers. The second thing that I think you go to is once you move over to just, okay, let's watch them play and what stands out. I think Jimmy by far is just a more skilled quarterback and he's more skilled in areas that we know are important for high level quarterback play. Right. So just kind of like a a few things that we've talked about, you know, over and over when looking at quarterbacks, is he accurate? Right. Garoppolo has been far more accurate on a throw for throw basis than Nick Mullins has at this point. He is responsible for a larger portion of the offense's success when he's on the field, right? When they're making good things happen, a lot of that is because of what Garoppolo is doing, whether that's making more difficult throws and pushing the ball further downfield um, and just kind of being more willing to be aggressive and look for kind of some bigger plays there uh, as opposed to just being comfortable throwing it underneath and letting playmakers, you know, kind of make make things happen after the catch. And this is really the hardest thing, I think, for lots of people to disaggregate. But you point to the the recent superstar for the 49ers, and that's George Kittle, right? He had so many of his yards after the catch. That's basically yards that Nick Mullins is getting advantage for that are really on George Kittle because he's fast and he's big and Shanahan schemed him open. So when you look at the context of those yards, the thing that bolster that counting stat, you're looking at a lot of Kyle Shanahan, a lot of George Kittle, and a little bit of Nick Mullins. Whereas when you look at the the Jimmy formula, it's a little bit more evenly distributed right. amongst Jimmy, Kyle, and someone like George Kittle. And then I think once you move kind of beyond that more basic stuff, right? So it's it's good. Like nobody's going to sit there and discount Mullins for um, finding an open receiver and, and kind of getting the ball to him and, and it being a well-designed play and him being able to take advantage of that, right? Though That's certainly a good thing as well. But once you get into situations where things don't really go to plan, I think that's kind of a big thing that can differentiate your top quarterbacks from just kind of the more average or, or kind of backup level guys. I think a backup quarterback, you you would expect him to be able to kind of take advantage of what the offense gives him. Not always, uh, he's not always going to do it that well, right? He might not be very accurate or something like that. That also makes him a backup, but generally he can see that stuff and get it out. Once things break down though, say that first look isn't open. Um, what does he do after that? Say he gets pressured quickly and he has to kind of be, be flushed from the pocket and, and get out outside of the structure of the play. What does he do in those situations? And Basically, in any of those kind of more complex situations, even the stuff that's a, a little bit more basic, right? Just the the key situational stuff, like being um, good on third and fourth down and being good in the red zone. Um, Jimmy is basically better in every single one of those areas. Once you kind of start looking at data specific to those type of splits, um, he's been fantastic outside of the pocket. So looking at stuff both out of structure and just on the design stuff that, uh, we know that Shanahan really loves to implement. So kind of in, all of that stuff that, that falls outside of just the normal in structure, hitting my first look in rhythm type of, of throws. Once you move beyond that, that's where Jimmy really separates himself. And the 49ers offense is just more productive with Jimmy Garoppolo in the lineup. They convert a higher percentage of drives into points with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're more explosive. If you look at expense at, at expected points added, and they're more consistent. They have a higher percentage of positive EPA plays with Jimmy Garoppolo than without or with Nick Mullins. So ultimately, if you're getting into this discussion, you first attack the simple fact that they're using the absolute wrong thing to evaluate quarterback play to begin with. Counting stats are not what you should use to evaluate quarterback play. And then you say, so let's look at what quarterbacks should do to be successful. Jimmy Garoppolo does all of those better than Nick Mullins. And ultimately, the game's about scoring points. You score more points, you win the game. It's not that difficult. And Jimmy Garoppolo provides more of that productivity. And really, I mean, you look at like a 90 quarterback rating and you basically look at them in the face. You look at them dead in the eye after your double IPA. (laughs) And you say, you know what? In today's NFL, a 90 quarterback rating is like backup level. Expect better than a backup. (laughs) 
Razor game. I like, up, I like it. I like that finisher right there. Yep. And that's how you finish him. That's how and we that's, do it. Yep. Expect better than a backup. Uh, and you know who's going to get you there? Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. So let's get to the mailbag because we've got a lot of really good questions this week from the Niners Nation comments and from y'all on Twitter. So before we get to the mailbag, let's take just a really quick break to hear some commercials because they pay bills. All right. As usual, we've organized the mailbag questions into larger topics. And we'll first start with the general topic. Uh, which actually, first question is going to be from me. I can do that. I was going to say, the, I don't think The Ringer actually was asking us a mailbag no, question. No, The Ringer did not. But I was listening to The Ringer podcast this morning, and they asked who was the player that they were irrationally excited about. And so I'm curious which player you're irrationally excited about, David, uh, here for the 49ers. I'm assuming okay, we're keeping it 49ers specific. Yeah, I don't want to okay. hear about Antonio Brown's feet again, bro. Oh, man. No, I'm not excited about that. Nobody is. I don't want to hear about um, your Patrick Mahomes t-shirt. I don't want to hear about your Baker Mayfield t-shirt. I'm excited for all of it, man. I'm excited for all the good quarterback play. Is it? Is it? Uh, I think even even though he's like uh, obviously a, a very prominent player um, and a lot of people are excited, I think I'm even still irrationally excited about him. That's Jimmy Garoppolo coming back. Yeah. Like, Flat out. I mean, for all the reasons like that, uh, of the, the conversations exist, like the ones we were just talking about in, in that bar fight segment, like the fact that that is a, a serious conversation that is being had at times, like uh, I, I'm just like so excited for him to hopefully be able to stay healthy and get out there and let us see a full season um, of him because I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah. And for me, that player is Dante Pettis. I think I'm kind of really excited about what Dante yeah. Pettis can do in this offense. And, and I think, you know, George Kittle obviously carries a certain degree of excitement. We all know how much I love Matt Breida, so I will leave my love for that man, uh, you know, in a little box on the shelf for, for now. But I think Dante Pettis can make some waves in this offense, and I think that's going to be really, really exciting. Uh, all right, so all for fun play on Niners Nation. It says, what do you guys know about the... Oh, hold on. Correlated to that question. I totally forgot. Which player are you most irrationally excited about on the Dynasty team that we just wrapped up our draft for here last weekend. Oh man. Um, I mean, it's gotta be Mahomes. Yeah. He drafts. So I took Mahomes one Oh two. Yeah. David and I are in a dynasty league together, uh, with some other friends and he took Mahomes one Oh two, which honestly wasn't a Look, pick. It's two QB league dynasty. Yeah. Don't come at me. It made a lot right? of sense. It's it fun. made a lot of sense. Uh, I think if you look and these are deep benches, right? So there's a lot of players on here. Um, I'm actually kind of really excited about DJ Moore. I like DJ Moore. I like the Carolina offense. I'm probably- I really hope that Cam's right because if Cam's okay, like that offense could be a lot of fun. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, although, you know, Andrew Luck uh, and Phillip Rivers is my QBs. Not bad. And Lamar Jackson with Mark Ingram doubling down on that run first offense, man. Bring me back to 19. Roman's going to run at 75% of the time. There. That's, gonna be that's why I drafted my third running back in Lamar Jackson. QB one. I mean, RB one. Excuse right. me. RB one. <laughs> it's a running back who can throw. He, he ticks all the boxes. Yeah. Everything you need. He ticks all the boxes. All right. Now let's get to the questions. All for fun play. What do you guys know about the 49ers new training staff? The no live tackling thing in training camp seems odd to me. I get trying to be cautious, but this seems like an overcorrection. David, is no tackling in camp and overcorrection, and are the Niners going to be soft as a result? Uh, I mean, yeah. I, first, I, I don't know anything about the new training staff, like beyond just like a like an article or something that I read. So, I mean, outside of uh, of my specialty, there for sure. I think um, is it unusual though? I think is pretty clearly no. It's not unusual. I think um, it, at the very least, like this is something that just the NFL. Almost, I don't like. I don't want to say unanimously by any means. I'm sure there there's still you know teams out there that do more tackling, but um, this is kind of just the way things are approached now. Well, it goes back to the CBA and the renegotiation of the CBA, and the players actually wanted less hitting and less strenuous practices, and so now you don't see two a days, you don't see some of the vigorous hitting. And I mean, I mean Shanahan said that he hasn't been on a team that's tackled to the ground in ten years. Yeah. So and and you guys remember that when we did have a coach that was all about hitting and practice, that was Mike Singletary, and that's how you lose people in camp pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think there's probably something to be said about replacing that drill with some other drill that mimics tackling or mimics that kind of situation. Um, but this is where you have, you know, a couple of joint practices. Maybe you've got, I don't know, preseason games uh, that will help you figure out how to tackle. But I don't think that there, I don't know that there's any study that's been done that would correlate the lack of tackling and practice to like poor tackling grades. Chances are it's just bad players, bad tacklers. 
Right. Yeah, I think there are, are definitely other ways to work on tackling technique and, and be able to improve, like, uh, yeah, like the technique teaching side of things without actually tackling. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, that's the best thing that you would like to have, you know, for it. It just it ultimately, like, isn't worth the risk. And I think yeah. pretty much every NFL team has seen that. And, and this is kind of just the way that it's approached now. All right. Another quality name on Niners Nation. Pettis Patrol, Kittle Cartel. Is the defense roster significantly worse than, say, 2012 under Vic Fangio? Yes. Considerably. Um, I think the looking back at that team when, when Harbaugh and Fangio and stuff first got there, um, the big thing that sticks out is, is there were just a lot more veteran players. So I think, yeah, it was easy to make a case that, that like some of them had underperformed and, and stuff like that and that kind of the, the better coaching staff – was able to maximize that talent more, but there were a lot of established guys there, right? Like we knew Patrick Willis was great. We knew Justin Smith was great. Um, You know, the the only real newcomers that were like young players on that defense were the guys that they took in that first draft, essentially guys like Alden Smith and uh, like Chris Culliver were really the two main guys that were young um, and didn't have a lot of time in the NFL already. And so, this defense, like the, the 49ers have now, is is basically on the opposite of the spectrum. Like, yes, they do have a few veteran players, guys like Sherman, um, guys like D4 that they brought in in this offseason. But for the most part, the guys that they are expecting to be huge contributors for this defense are guys that they've drafted in the last few seasons, right? That are young players, unproven, have been either pretty shaky or or even just mostly bad in some cases. So I think... Yes, there is is some talent there, and I think there are some players that um, hopefully will work out from that group, but it's just a far more unknown situation than we were dealing with when Harbaugh and Fangio got there. Yeah, the, I think the only thing I would add to that is that even in the secondary, I think the the players that ended up hitting for the 49ers around that 2011-2012 area, they ended up sticking and actually sustaining that level of performance to a certain degree. So think of Carlos Rogers, who came in on a veteran quarterback or on a veteran contract. He was someone who was like, I don't know if he's any good. Turns out, yeah, he was able to sustain decent play for a couple of years, and that's what helped allow the 49ers to be as good as they were for so long. And Dante Whitner, right? Winter, Whitner came in. Um, you know, Terrell Brown had been there for a while, yep. but he... He developed um, and turned into someone that I think, yep. you know, gave the team quality snaps. And so I think it's that, that they had... What I would say, especially in secondary, is they had a very thick middle where they didn't have maybe like the elite corner, but no one was really bad. You, yes. look, at the, yep. you look at the team right now, especially in that defensive backfield... There's some, I mean, Dante Johnson's still on the roster. And Greg Maven was the first man up in camp when Verrett was, you know, taking uh, some time off because, well, again, he's injured. Uh, and, uh, and Sherman was getting another day off as well. So, I mean, that's still something to be concerned about. But Jeb, Jeb134 from Niners Nation asks, what is it that you guys are looking for when you watch preseason football? I thought this was a really interesting question because, like, you know, he points out, look, the, the playbooks are pared down. You know, you're seeing a bunch of scrubs. You're not. I mean, I, I would say whole, like 40% of the players that we're watching on these games are not going to be there in, in a month. Um, so what is it that you look for specifically when you're watching preseason games? Preseason is about evaluating players, not evaluating teams. Um, so I think, you know, you, you shouldn't be very invested in the success of the team, like necessarily even like how well they're, um, you know, sustaining like things that they would need to do consistently, like during the season that you would be hoping for, you know, like, uh, getting off the field on third down on defense or whatever it is, like, like little things like that. Um, these aren't game planned games for the most part. Like they're going in there, they're working on certain things. They want to get players, um, looks. And so I think you can definitely see some players that will stand out right in, in their role and whatever that may be, whether that's, um, a guy that's getting action against some of the first team defenders on the other team, because you're trying to rest some of your guys, right. And, and they're not, uh, you don't have your typical ones out there necessarily, or whether that's guys that are playing like in the second half more against backups and just clearly stand out as players who look better than everyone else on the field at that moment. Like, okay, maybe that's a guy that we want to get, some snaps and reps with like the first team or earlier in the game when there's better players on there. So I think, yeah, you can definitely learn 
something about players at least, but there's very little to take away from a team level. So one of the one of the better books about football and about watching football is Pat, Pat Kerwin's Take Your Eye Off the Ball. And I think the preseason is a great, a great time where you can start to practice not staring at the quarterback or following the ball when you're watching one of these games. Now, it, sometimes it can be hard because the camera angles for a lot of these preseason games are complete shite. Like, they're really bad. Really, really bad. Yeah. Um, KPIX, usually not great, Bob. But I think if you can practice looking at it, you want to look at a specific position group or you want to look at a couple of key battles, now's the time to do it. Begin to train your eyes because it helps a lot. And if you can kind of keep an eye on what's going on on screen but still focus in on a couple of positions, especially around the lines because that's what you're going to get the most of, yep. I think that this is a really good time to practice that. So uh, you're absolutely right, David. Watch players, uh, not necessarily teams. And that's why we structure our podcast actually around uh, individual players. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So let's get to the secondary because this is a big group of that. We had another bunch of questions around the secondary that got asked. And Smathis from Niners Nation asks, given the developments in the secondary, namely one, Sherman reportedly returning to form, two, Tarvarius Moore moving to free safety, and three, Vrett and Witherspoon looking like legit starting options. How do you feel at all about the secondary? Are you still disappointed in that group or has some optimism crept in? And I would point you, young Smathis, to the reports today that, <laughs> J- that Jason Verrett yeah. is getting an MRI in his ankle. Rough, man. Uh, and, and, and I would say that like the, the basic premises that, you're, that, you're, that those comments are based on may not actually be true, right? Sherman reportedly returning to form. Sherman was reportedly back to some form last season before you know, yeah. it turns out that he wasn't super great, Bob. Tarverius Moore, yes, he's earning more snaps, but we don't know what that actually looks like against starting offenses that are actually going to game plan for the specific type of defensive looks that they're going to give them. So, yes, would I rather be hearing positive stories coming out of camp than negative stories? Absolutely. Yep. But am I any more secure in what the secondary is going to look like on game day or their ability to hold up over a 16 or maybe more game season? Nope. Right. I, I think... It's almost impossible for some optimism to not creep in there, right? It's just like, it's the nature of the offseason. My biggest optimistic point is Tarverius Moore. Like that to me right now is where I'm like, okay, yeah. this makes a lot of sense to me because he's someone who played well in college, was miscast as a corner by a position coach who's now no longer with the team and Jeff Halfley, and now is moving back to his more natural position and is starting to really wrestle that job away from Adrian Colbert, uh, at least in the backup spot, maybe even when Jimmy Ward comes back, although I doubt that happens because the team seems to love Jimmy Ward. But that, to me, is the, probably the one thing I'm most optimistic about since Tarverius Moore was a third-round pick. Right. I think some of those things, some of the comments from coaches are probably some of the things that I'm most optimistic about. We talked about uh, last time about like how... Solid mentioned that the plan with the defensive line now that they're so is as deep as they are, like assuming we can keep these guys healthy, uh, is to use a pretty heavy rotation, right? Something similar to what we've seen from Philadelphia over the past several seasons where they, they're really deep there. You get a bunch of snaps for a bunch of guys and no one's really playing over 70% of the time. Like, so there's, there's little things like that. Some of the things that they're doing in the secondary comments that are specifically, regarding like an increased focus on pass defense and and that being the priority as opposed to coming out and giving you the bullshit about we got to go out there and stop the run first like those are I think are the most encouraging things for me I think when you're looking at players and stuff like that I mean you got to still stick with your priors pretty hard here right it's yes you want to take in that new information and you're not just going to discount that outright but this type of stuff in camp what we know and expect to be overly positive like that shouldn't move your prior a whole lot. And I think right now the prior is still that this is a secondary that played very, very poorly last year and has a lot of question marks. Like, again, that's not to say that some of these things can't turn and and work out positively this season. Witherspoon is, I think, a great example of that. Played actually really well his rookie season. Didn't play so great there. So, like, it wouldn't be very surprising to see him bounce back and kind of have a more return to form. So you hope for things like that to happen. But, again, yeah, you're not taking – camp reports and being like all right witherspoon is like booking all pro and pro bowl tickets here so all right roach it from niners nation asks with the expected move to less single high safety stuff should we expect harris to make the roster presuming he's marcel harris uh not tim harris uh marcel harris safety tim harris corner uh or someone with more flexibility like xm jr who seems to be on the outside 
looking in. And I think the first thing, and we talked about this a little bit on that Joe Woods podcast, is that yeah. I think you're probably talking, Rochit, about the the interchangeable safeties comment that you heard a little bit about with Salah and kind of leading into camp. But I don't think that interchangeable safeties means less single high stuff. Overall, the 49ers still play a ridiculous amount of single high looks. And Sala even said in some of his comments during training camp, I think it was his first long interview, where the, inter- the interchangeable safeties just means that they're not going to always play someone down in the box. They're going to basically rotate to the strength. And so their, their players are going to be a bit more interchangeable. But that doesn't mean they're going to change the identity of their defense substantively. Yeah. So they're still going to see a lot of cover three, cover one, and those single high looks because that's just the kind of defense that Salah has structured. And Joe Woods, even then, isn't going to, I think, make wholesale changes to that, nor do I think that he, he would based on what he called in Denver. Uh, you know, Hopefully what you get is more pattern match underneath, which is not necessarily going to change the single high look up top. So I don't know that it's going to change the roster construction a whole lot, nor do I think we're going to see a lot more two high looks when they actually like snap and play defense. You might see more split safeties up top, but they'll still probably rotate late and maybe more try to disguise it and not necessarily actually be a quarters or too high defense. Right. I think if if they were going to make a move, you know, that was more significant to where they were, you know, playing too high stuff, like even close to half the time, say, uh, I, I think we would have seen them address safety more seriously this offseason, right? I, I don't think you would have been comfortable. You've you've brought in all of these guys um, to play this single high system, and if you're going to move significantly away from that, I think you you just naturally need to get guys that fit that new system a little bit better, right? Rather than the guys that you brought in that that fit the old system. So I don't think, yeah, like you said, we're going to see a huge departure from that. I think it's just going to be you're going to see rather than one guy who's always deep and another guy who's always in the box. You know, they they might be playing both spots, but it's still going to be similar types of roles in the defense. I would think. All right, now we get to a section where all of the questions were taken from Twitter. And they were all about David's favorite topic. That's right, folks. Not punters, but running backs. David, we're going to ask you two questions about running oh, cool. backs. Oh, cool. I'm going to go get a beer. Uh, yeah. Could you bring yeah, me one, no. too? That'd be great. <laughs> uh, Chris Martin on Twitter. How will the snaps be divided between the three running backs? How did you see them being used differently uh, and the same throughout the game? So I think assuming health, I, I would expect, you know, roughly like a 40-40-20 type split between uh, the top three guys with Brita being the 20 guy. Um, I think in terms of usage, I think it'll really be pretty similar. Um, I, I, I would expect maybe McKinnon is a guy that, uh, is used a little bit more split wide and maybe even you see him start to run, uh, some stuff more on like the receiver route tree, uh, in the passing game. Like I could see that type of role for him, maybe a little bit more than the others. you know, I think Coleman can do maybe a little bit of that, but I think McKinnon is, is the best guy for that type of role. I think you probably see less of Matt Breida splitting out. I think he's more of a a predominant backfield player um, that would make more sense from what we've seen from him. Um, So I think that's maybe the, the small tweaks in usage that you see, but overall these are, are guys that, you know, all have a lot of speed. They all fit well in in the run scheme that they want to do in the outside zone stuff. They can all, uh, you know, catch the ball at least to varying degrees of success, um, so I think the, yeah, the, the overall usage will be fairly similar. And I think that usage will probably increase over the course of the first quarter of the season for Jarek McKinnon. I think they'll probably start off with more of a Tevin Coleman heavy workload, sure. uh, and Coleman and Brita probably getting the lion's share of the snaps initially. And then by the time you hit the midpoint in the season, I think that's where McKinnon's probably going to start to uncork and, and run more of those routes just because I, I think that the, the, the knee, swelling up and giving a bit a bit of a relapse is uh, not concerning, but I think the team will just probably ease him in a bit more. When you have Coleman, when you have Brita, you, there's no need to just rush McKinnon back all the way at full bore off the get. So I think you'll probably see them ramp him up and it won't be till about mid season that you'll see probably the, the true utilization of the three. Yeah, that makes, I mean, in, you know, Shanahan has said that they're going to especially take it slow throughout the preseason. So who knows if we'll even get to see McKinnon at all in the preseason? You know, he, Shannon didn't rule it out completely, but uh, I think it would be. I think we get him the third game. I yeah. think that third and game, that like dress rehearsal. Period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see yep. more than that. And the second running back question doesn't exist, mostly because I just wanted to see your face when I told you you'd have to answer two running back questions. I went through and deleted all of them. I made sure I blocked everybody. 
that had running back questions. That's fair. Yeah. Tough, but fair. Hacked into Niners Nation, delete all the comments out of there. Sorry, guys. Uh, don't tell Fooch or Kyle that you still have your login credentials. I actually don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get to wide receivers because Blood and Gold on Niners Nation says, which receivers do you see making the 53-man roster? And really, this is about whether or not the Niners keep like five, six, or seven question mark wide receivers. You're you're usually more on top of the numbers than I am. How many have they kept? Usually, have kept six, right? Yeah, it's, the, it's five or six. Number? Um, I mean, so I think the the automatic guys um, that I would be surprised if anything happened to these: Dante Pettis, um, Debo Samuel, Jalen Hurd, and Trent Taylor. I think all four of those guys are locks. I would be pretty surprised if any of those guys did not end up on the team. And so then I think you're looking, you know, you have what four other guys that are seriously competing for maybe two spots, maybe three. Um, I think the one that could be kind of a surprise is Marquise Goodwin. Um, I like Goodwin. I, I think he does bring something to the table that no one else really does. Right. Which is that deep speed. And, uh, I, I just don't know that that's something though, that they are going to take advantage of as much in this offense. So that's one of the questions from Genesis, not Nintendo who wanted to make that clear on Twitter. Uh, who brings more value to San Francisco, Goodwin or James, who's still pretty fast, but plays special teams. So I think, Ah, yeah, it's tough because, um, you know, we, we like with the receiver group, it's always nice when you have guys that can do some different things well and that can um, bring different things to the table. And that just allows you, keeps all your options open offensively, right? All the different routes are available to you, all the different route concepts. Um, anything you want to get to, you can, depending on the package of players that you have in there, right? So I think that's always a nice thing to have. And I think that is kind of a mark in Goodwin's favor. Um but I don't know. I think everybody else, though, can do multiple things well. And I think that's kind of what separate. If you want to have a group that is that is all versatile and you don't necessarily have guys locked into one spot or another, right? You can move them all around. You know, maybe Pettis is your your deep guy for a, a couple routes, and then you know he's going to do what he does a little bit better in the intermediate le- level most of the time, right? But you can you can move them around and not really tip what you're trying to do necessarily. So I think something like that is is definitely more in favor of Richie James. Um, but I don't know. It's yeah. I think those last two spots are are tough and I don't think there's necessarily any of them that, that really stand out over the others right now. So Niner fan in Maine asks whether or not Goodwin's tradable. And and I think Goodwin is tradable, but if you're going to trade Goodwin, it's going to be for a pretty low round pick. I I don't think you're going to get anything more than like a fifth round pick for someone like Goodwin. Um, I think, you know, his speed is obviously, something that's going to attract teams and his contract is not offensive. It's not going to be something that players or that a team can't really take on. But ultimately I think it comes down to someone like Kendrick Bourne or Jordan Matthews. I think right now Jordan Matthews is on the outside looking in. I think that the, the gambit for the 81st Jersey uh, is going to be one by one, Mr. Trent Taylor. But, but I, cause I don't think the team is going to keep more than six receivers. You really do run into a situation where you can't keep like six running backs and seven wide receivers and, you know, a bunch of offensive linemen and a bunch of defensive linemen. Like you, you just can't keep everyone. Right. right. Uh, and so I do think that, that Shanahan's probably going to keep six, uh, six wide receivers, even quarterbacks, right? Like, Oh, what if CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins end up on the same? Like you can't keep an extra player at every position and you have to make some difficult cuts. These are the types of decisions I think that you start to have to make when your roster starts to get good. And I don't think the Niners are there at every position, but I do think wide receiver, there's a reason that Jordan Matthews, I mean, he's a replacement level player. Like yeah, I, I think he's the guy that uh, has the worst shot at staying on. I agree. And again, like it was kind of one of those things like everybody thought like, oh, they, they spent something on him to bring him in. Like, of course, he's going to make the roster. He's a veteran player. Like, like he just hasn't been very good. And, and I think he plays, he's played predominantly a role that we haven't seen in this offense. Like, he was always, I think, kind of a longer shot to make it to me. And so I think those other guys definitely offer more value than him at this stage. And if I had to pick, if I had to pick two right now, the other ones, I would lean probably towards Goodwin and James. Um, yeah, maybe Born and James. I think it's Goodwin makes three. it. I think Goodwin makes it. And you've got Debo, you've got Hurd, you've got Pettis. Um, I think Born makes it. 
Um, and then you've got Trent Taylor. And I think that's, that's kind of the, the unit that I think the team carries into the season. I think the players that have been getting hype in camp will end up getting snuck onto the process uh, the practice squad roster and Jordan Matthews gets cut. Uh, and I think Rich James also is, is unfortunately on, on the outside looking in despite the fact that he's kind of a team favorite. Um, continuing though, the wide receiver talk Cully from Twitter says that we once discussed getting complimentary players who bring something that something to the table that other skill players do not. He likes Bourne, but it sounds like he's a strong bubble with the Shanahan's recent praise. Uh, but what does he bring that Debo and Dante Pettis don't have? Nothing. <laughs> you're not you're not on that Kendrick Bourne train. You haven't been for a, for a long, long time. I mean, I don't think that he's like I don't think he's terrible or, or something. But um, I think th- this this like idea that he is good because he quote like led the team in receiving yards as a receiver with like 500 yards. Like fuck out of here. That doesn't yeah, matter. That's that's the one um, thing I will say that I'm not. Uh, like again, context matters, right? Yes. The fact that he yes. led the team with 500 yards. Okay, you're thinking two things. Two things should jump out at you, right? One, man, he led the team too with 500 yards. Right. Like that should give you puppy That's dog not ears. Great, right? And, and so, and then you think to yourself, okay, but maybe he led the team because they were like a strong running back screen team, or maybe George Kittle has a bunch of yards. No, nope. There was a lack of wide receiver talent on the team last year. Dante yeah, Pettis is injured. Yeah, they were yeah. hurt everywhere. That was the year for a player to break through, and he still could not do it. I mean, this. I is mean, a- and you can't even use quarterback. Like, I feel like the Bourne stands are also the same guy, like Nick Mullins, baby. Like, let's go. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I don't. Again, I don't think that he's a bad player. I think that he can be a quality depth player and provide some quality snaps yeah. for a team. But I don't think that he is going to magically become a number one wide receiver just because he's getting a lot of praise from the team. Because when it came down to it, he was still making some mental mistakes last year, even though he's been in the system for quite a while. And he couldn't break through on a team that was literally struggling for wide receiver talent. Again, don't think he's bad. Still think he makes the team this year. I really do. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think that, um, that he is so wild of a talent that you're like, man, he brings something special to the table. Right. His, his value isn't in that he brings something different is that he, his value is that he is a poor man's version of the guys that are higher on the depth chart. And so if you were to suffer injury, he's a guy that can step in and do similar types of things, albeit it'll just a lower level. Yeah. And, and it sucks because that's going to like with the, the takeaway for a lot of people from this is going to be like, Oh, we hate Kendrick Bourne. And like, maybe you hate Kendrick Bourne, I but do not hate, th- don't even start that. I mean, you hate Kendrick Bourne. You no, just, you it's can fine. Be, it's like Vance McDonald, Zane Beatles, no. Jordan Debbie, Kendrick Bourne. I no, mean, you can put them like on your list. Uh, you could draw the name on the list in red lipstick. It's going to be great. I don't have, uh, I don't have that much energy for players that just aren't very good. But, really but yeah, but I think down. that it's, it's not everyone in the NFL has to be binary, good or terrible. And, and I think that Kendrick Bourne is neither of those two things. He's right in the middle. He can provide quality snaps. Um, and, and I think that he can do so a little bit bigger than Richie James is really all it comes down to. Yep. Uh, so offensive line questions. Uh, Jay Patel from Twitter actually asked this question weeks ago before he knew we even had a mailbag episode, just in case we had a mailbag episode coming up. This is straight some insight. Highly prepared. Yeah. Uh, but Jay Patel asks, what's the main skill set difference required in run blocking and pass blocking? And why do so many offensive linemen seem to only have one ability or the other? How difficult is it to develop that skill for the opposite ability? And how is our lack of good pass blocking going to impact Jimmy Garoppolo? There's like six that's... questions rolled into one. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I, I think that's a really good question, though. Um, so I think starting kind of with the first one as far as, as skill set goes... Uh, I think, well, from, from a run blocking perspective, we'll stick obviously with what the 49ers are doing. Um, you know, run blocking skill sets going to depend heavily on the types of run plays that they use, right? I think you look at uh, run scheme. That's, that's more similar to what we saw um, with Harbaugh and Roman when they were here, where it's a more power, you know, gap scheme based system um, that prefers guys who are bigger, stronger, can, can really move people at the point of attack, right? It's, um, that sort of strength and, and being able to create movement is really big. Whereas you look at 
in uh, zone schemes, especially a wide zone scheme like what the 49ers are doing now, I think movement skills are far more important, right? You have to be athletic enough and agile enough to be able to get out on the move and, and reach some of these difficult blocks that you're getting to, whether that's just uh, a defensive lineman that's in a tough shade where you got to make a lot, make up a lot of ground to be able to get on the right side of him, or whether that's uh, getting up to a linebacker at the second level in space and being able to adjust to a guy who is far more athletic than you are and still be able to get a piece of him and, and get your block on him. Um, so I think that type of thing is, is different between the run schemes. I think pass protection is a lot more, I mean, there's obviously going to be similarities in crossover to, to all of them. I think pass protection, you know, hands are very important and hand usage is, is really important there. Balance, um, is, is very important from, as a pass protector, you know, what a lot of defenders want to do is, is they're looking to get you off balance, whether that's leaning too far forward, leaning much to one side, too much to one side or the other. Um, so I think, but similar to zone blocking in a way of like, you need to be comfortable a little bit in space with guys that are more athletic than you. Um, as far as why guys only have one or the other, that, that I have less firm of an answer on. I don't know. I don't know that like, this is me just thinking about this out loud, right? I I don't, I don't have a firm answer on it either. I, I, first of all, don't know that that's necessarily true. Like, I think that you maybe have players that are good at one thing or the other, but, you know, I think I'd want to quantify what being good at one or the other is. And, and if that is true, let's just go with the premise of the question for a second. I think it may, it may have something to do with the fact that it's reacting versus acting. When you're run blocking, you are moving forward. You're trying to get to a spot. You're making and yep. initiating contact right away. Whereas when you're in a pass set, you were literally backing up and waiting to react to what that defensive lineman is doing, remembering that a defensive lineman is a better athlete, generally speaking, than you as an offensive lineman. Uh, Especially if you're in that power run scheme where you're prizing size and power and strength, oftentimes that comes at the expense of speed, agility, flexibility, and balance, which when you're staring down the barrel of the Von Miller gun, you're probably going to need a little bit of. And so I, I think that's probably where you you get some of that disparity is if you're built for a power scheme if you're Mike Upati and all of a sudden you're facing Aaron Donald yeah you might not always stack up correctly um, where it might be a bit more difficult to uh, to do that or, or rather it might be easier to do that if you're built for a wide scheme and all of a sudden you're a bit more agile you're a bit more flexible you're more like Joe Staley um, and you can tackle that so maybe that's one of the hidden hidden advantages of having uh, that wide zone scheme that Kyle Shanahan uh, likes to likes to employ. But yeah, so I don't know that it's necessarily true that there's a big delta, but yeah. if there is, I think it's probably action versus reaction. Yeah, and, and I think that the last one, you know, kind of how is the lack of good pass blocking going to impact Garoppolo? Um, I don't think that necessarily they're going to have bad pass blocking, to be honest. Um, I, because of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and not even that. Um, I, I think you look at just what they did last year, and, and even if the the five guys that they had that started most of the games last year um, can just do the same, be on the field for those games this season and play at roughly their same level as last year. Like they were fine. Um, Pass protection and and offensive line play kind of in general is it's important not to be terrible at really any one spot, you know, especially once if you're really bad at multiple spots, like that's a problem. Um, It's more about just hitting competency and and being like solid across the board and and rather than have you like you don't need to have all pros at every position on the offensive line or even any one position to be honest um it's more important to have better players at tackle i think you look at the 49ers right now that's where their two best offensive linemen are, are at tackle i think it's reasonable to expect mcglinchy to be improved in his second year and joe staley's still um been very good in pass protection i think from a guard standpoint they were fine you know again they they were definitely above that level of competency that you'd like to see i think the one question mark is with center and kind of whether richburg or you know assuming he can get back on the field um whoever they end up with it at center like what happens there like that's the potential i think weak link um but overall i think they they will be fine and garoppolo will be in a better spot assuming the health of all those guys this season than he was at during his five games at the end of 2017 so this is actually a good question from old Gus Chickens, right? Is there cause for concern at center? Because, of course, Richburg is still injured. He's coming back from his knee injury that he had last year. 
And, uh, you know, people are beginning to wonder, all right, he's not going to get reps. What's going to happen? Is there cause for concern? I, I don't think the concern is about the injury. I think the concern is whether or not Richburg is good. Because that, sure. that to me, is, is still a little up in the air. And, you know, you have a couple of good years in New York where he was fully healthy and, and he played at a high level, but that was only one or two seasons where he played at an exceptionally high level. Then he dipped off quite a bit, signed that free agent deal with the 49ers, and he didn't have a super strong year last year. Um, he had some good games. He had some really bad games, and, and that may have been due to injury. But I would say, yeah, another another season with reports of like injury hampering his exactly. Ability. Yeah. So you know, I, I don't know that the maybe it is all kind of wrapped into one, right? Maybe maybe the, I would say that I'm concerned about whether or not he is the right uh, the right player. But I think that ultimately, even if he performs at the same level that he did last year, which was not very good, injury related or otherwise, he still has the pieces around him to have a relatively competent offensive line. And I do think that having Jimmy Garoppolo back and having a better quarterback is going to make the offensive line appear a bit better because when you get the ball out in rhythm, when you get it out on time and you get it out fast, it makes it your offensive line appear better. And Kyle Shanahan's scheme, honestly, is like tailor-made to get quarterbacks time uh, with all the pre-stamp motion, with all the play-action stuff, and with the run game. Uh, I, I, To your point, I think the offensive line just needs to be competent. They don't need to be like all pros across the line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think they, and, and even at center, like, honestly, like, yeah, you would like to have, obviously, a, a decent player at, at every position. But, um, you know, I think if they're comfortable with whoever is there, and especially, if, like, let's assume Richburg for now, because it, it does get... Um, a bit more dicey once you move beyond that. But if you assume that he's out there and still just isn't very good, I think from an on-field result standpoint, like that probably has the biggest impact in the run game. The center's blocks in this scheme are far more important there than the impact that he could potentially has as a pass protector. Um, it's just easier to uh, hide a center. Well, you get um, help. And pass you get help from a guard. Right, and there's there's almost never a snap in which he's not working with someone else. Um, I shouldn't say never, but it, it's, it's just a, a, a small percentage of his overall pass blocking snaps. So yeah, I mean, will there st- likely still be some snaps in there? If you have a bad center where like Aaron Donald's abusing that dude and getting pressure, like sure. But Aaron, Aaron Donald's going to abuse everyone. He's going to abuse everyone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, all right. So that wraps up the mailbag questions. Now we're going to get to the two minute drill. Some quick fire questions where we are lofting questions at one another. Uh, these are still your questions. We just don't have time to read your names. Uh, so let's go. Two minute drill. David, who's your surprise cut? Ah, uh, this one's always tough. Um, because I don't know that their roster is like, it is a two minute drill, David. You're getting up to the line. And you're giving me a you verbose know, word. Look, call. I'm, Come on. I'm feeling comfortable. Okay. I got, I know we got plenty of time. We got no, a few time. There's, there's there. no, there's no time to point at John. Um, Come on, give it to me. I don't know, man. Uh, good one. Marquis. Good one. Yeah. Mine's CJ Bathard. Is that a surprise though? So uh, like that's where I'm at. See, I, I think it's a surprise because he was a third round pick and because he was handpicked by Shane. Okay. I like that one better. Yeah. Uh, all right. So who's your surprise player to make the 53 man roster? God damn it. Who's your player? You go first. Give me a, give me a minute here. Um, my surprise player to make the 53 man roster. I swear to God, if it's Dante Johnson or Greg Mabin, I'm going to like, I'm going to vomit. Um, my surprise player is probably going to be Marquis Goodwin. Just kidding. Uh, no, it, it's going to be. It's going to be Tim Harris. If anyone is a surprise at this point, it's going to be someone in the cornerback role that is going to unseat Dante Johnson and or Greg Mabin. I think Dre Greenlaw at this point probably wouldn't be a surprise. So I think it's probably going to be someone like Tim Harris. Sure. Let's go with that. Yeah, that's... I, I literally have no... I mean, nobody... None of these other guys, I feel like... I think most of the other positions are, like, relatively set. There's not a lot of guys that are down there as undrafted guys that I think are, are big threats to, like, yeah. come up and steal spots. Tim Harris... Or uh, Richard James would be the other one over. Over someone like Kendrick Bourne or something like that. But but he's even a guy that's, like, been on the roster, yeah. right? So you're going to yeah. say, like, that that's a surprise? Yeah, I don't know. Agreed. Uh, all right. How many quarterbacks would you take over Jimmy Garoppolo in fantasy? Ooh, uh, probably it's like in the teens, like probably 13, 14, 15. The thing is that with fantasy is it's about volume. Right. And so I think, uh, the, the concern there is less, is he going to be good as, as much as like, is he going to get just the straight number of dropbacks and passing attempts to like jump over those other guys, even if he's doing more with those? Like, I think that's kind of the question. I think when I was looking at our projections for attempts, he was like, 21st or something like that in in passing attempts projected for this season um 
So that would be the concern. But I think, yeah, I, I, I'm starting to consider him. I think once you get into the teens, like he's on the board for sure. Yeah, I would say he's probably like not quite in the teens, but in that 12 area. Like he's like the 12th quarter. He's definitely a QB two. Uh, he's not going to be the first quarterback I'm taking off the board, but um, I would take Lamar Jackson at this point over Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, and, yeah, right. And this is all assuming like standard scoring. Yeah, and so, again, yeah. it's fantasy, not real football. Yeah, fantasy football where Josh Allen number one is actually valuable. In my heart is where Jimmy is right. at. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what's going to be the biggest surprise for 49ers fans this season? What is with these surprise questions? I just I want to surprise you in the two minute drill. This is not that I'm is not a two minute drill. I'm gonna question. make the next one. I'm gonna make the next one all puncher running back questions. I'm gonna if leave you if you don't ease up and I'm, just give I'm me your surprise face. Out, give me your surprise <laughs> face, damn it. Uh, biggest surprise for the 49ers this season. Um, their offense is going to be really, really good. Like top five offense. Yeah, and I see, I think for me, for most fans is when they are like on the cusp of like an eight and eight season at the end of the year and everyone's going to be disappointed. Yeah, I, I mean, overall, right. I think they can still be, I, I still have concerns like defensively. Um, but I think off, like when you look at this offense with a healthy Garoppolo in there, and I think he's in a much better position f- for this season than he was at those five games when he first got traded. Um, and I just think, and they were so good. I mean, basically, when you look at their efficiency, their explosiveness during that stretch, uh, it would have been the third best. If they maintained that over a full season, it would have been the third best offense in football last year behind only the Chiefs and Saints. So I think already just with adding him and Shanahan there, they were producing at such a high level during that stretch that they get a full season. I, I think like, yeah, them being a top five caliber offense is very much in the cards. And I don't think a lot of people, even really optimistic people, um, considering the number of Nick Mullen stands that we've got out there are really expecting that level of performance. And that's why I think something like an eight and eight season is still going to be incredibly surprising because I think that defense still has so many questions that sure. they could still end up at eight and eight and still have a top five offense. Uh, and I think that's going to surprise lots of folks. Uh, all right. You have to buy one Jersey, not named Gore or Willis go historical like any. Sure. Have at it. Uh, uh, but it has to be a player. The 49ers drafted. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, probably Jerry Rice. Uh, all right. So let's call the current Nike jerseys. Um, let's go Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. Uh, I'm, in, I'm just going to go, uh, you get a custom Mabrita jersey and call it a day. Do it. I got to stay on brand, bro. They didn't draft him. Uh, that's, oh, the loophole, Ooh, the loophole. I did it. I did you it did. because of all these fucking surprise questions. That's right. Man, you there. know what? I deserve a surprise as well. It's okay. Yep. Uh, like Justin Timberlake, what goes around comes back on my friend. <laughs> Uh, will Wisnowski have broken Andy Lee's NFL season record for most punts pinned inside the 20? May I remind you? I don't care. David, may I remind you that Andy Lee had 42 punts pinned inside nice. the 20 in 2007. And I didn't even remind you. So. 42 failed offensive possessions. <laughs> Is Wisnowski going to break the record? Are you going to make a wish? I hope I don't watch a single punt this year. That's my goal. Uh, nah, that won't happen. That's, that's a lie. So, that's impossible. Uh, but answer, answer the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep adding the punter questions at this point if you keep dodging it. I can just still say no. Um, no. I don't say no. Uh, if if Wisnowski... They were punting a lot more in 2007. It, oh, God. That was the Ken Dorsey year. Good Lord. That was the year, if I remember correctly, that they had their first shutout in like 20-some-odd years in Seattle. Uh, because Ken Dorsey was terrible at football. Um, so if Wisnowski was able to, uh, like if you were guaranteed like one to five turnovers a year on punts uh, by Wisnowski's odd spin on the ball, would that justify Wisnowski's draft position? Nothing would justify his draft position. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you want me to say here. This shouldn't I'm, be a surprise. I'm trying to... That's the fitting end to the podcast. It shouldn't be a surprise when I ask you all surprise questions. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I'm, I'm here for this, though. I'm here for asking you all of running back and punter-related questions that get thrown at me. Uh, I know they make your day. I know they make you happy. Uh, and you get to go and continue to watch Love Island uh, in, in a happy state of mind. Yeah. 
Which, by the way, what, what episode are you on at this point? Uh, we're caught up. We're uh, caught up through... What's, what's caught up? What episode number's caught up? I don't remember. Like in the 20s or something for this current season? The way that they do it, though, um, for the UK version of the show in the US is they get released in batches. So you like get like every, Saturday. yeah, every Saturday, like the, the previous five episodes, I think it is, or it might be even like two weeks delayed or some shit, but yeah, whatever it is like a batch of five episodes gets, gets released. So, um, we have already watched the five episodes that were released this past Saturday. So yeah. we are as many as there. I think there we're are. a little behind cause we were on like episode 22 or 23. We just finished the Casa Amor stuff, uh, which was, Pretty legit. It's good. Only gets better. Oh, it gets, man. I mean, they're about to. You, you. When we were coming in here, they they hadn't like all come yeah, back. Come and back together. together. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So if you don't, know, if you don't know what we're talking about, and you have Hulu, there's a show called Love Island, the UK version. Don't get fooled by this American bullshit. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, go to the UK version and, and start with season three because that season was legit. Yep. But it's an investment. It's fifty episodes because they play it every night in England or the UK, five nights a week, and then they do it again the next week. And, and so, yeah, we've won. we watched season three, and now we're on season five. But do it. Trust me. It's a hell of a time suck, but, man, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. You don't have to think a whole lot. No, you sure uh, don't. It's a multitasking show. You don't. No, but uh, if, you, if you're not good with accents, use the subtitles. <laughs> um, so that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, that'll be at PFF underscore David. Oh, man. That means next week we're coming back. We're going to break down the preseason game on Saturday. It's going to be the real first football. game of real, I mean, real uh, Ish. entre comillas, Live as I would say, uh, in Spain. Just in, in the air quotes is all I would say. Yep. Uh, but we're going to go back to our regular kind of, uh, I don't know if we're going to do keep or cut, but it will definitely be player specific and we'll definitely dive in and try to evaluate the players. So uh, that's what we'll do when we come back next week. Make sure that you tune in, and as always, go Niners. Go Niners.